Good morning, sir. Where are you and the family off to this week? Uh, we are leaving Saturday morning. We're heading uh, headed out west, west of Pennsylvania, that is. Uh, we're headed to Lake Erie. Um, you know, I've lived in Pennsylvania since, well, I, I first moved here in 98, left for a year and came back. I mean, I was here for a few years, left for a year, came back. And now we're, uh, you know, been here in Reading, Pennsylvania since 2002. And we've never been to Lake Erie. Okay. Or I've not been. Uh, my wife's, and my wife hasn't been since she was a child. So we're taking our kids out there to see a great lake. Um, it'll be the first great lake they've seen. Uh, and uh, we're going to spend a few days there. We're going to stop for a couple of nights on the way back. We'll be gone for about a week. Um, excited to go. Um, hopefully the weather will be a little cooler. I hear that water temp in Lake Erie is warm. Okay. So excited to, to hit the road. Fantastic. Fantastic. And for our listeners, I was just sharing with Mickey that uh, in large part inspired by his adventures, uh, my, my wife and I have decided to break our lease in Washington, D.C. and hit the road. We're not, we're not quite as cool as Mickey. We're not going to be RVing yet. Uh, we'll see if we can, uh, we can, you know, uh, muster up the courage to, to get there eventually, but we're going to start with, uh, with some Airbnb hopping. So, um, our plan, which I think is phenomenal. <laughs> I don't know if other people do this. Like I want to know more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, there, I there are some, really cool. I, I feel like it's like, tr it's more and more people are at least considering it right now, especially if like, like we don't have, like we don't own our place. So we're just renting anyways. Um, so I, I think it's a little bit harder if you have a mortgage and also have to, you know, find somebody to rent your place or, um, if you rely on that income. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we're eager to, to kind of test this out, see how it goes. Uh, six to 12 months is what we're, we're telling ourselves, but you know, if worse comes to worse, we can always just come back to to the scary city. Um, but yeah, we're we're excited, and you know, maybe we'll have to to share some tips um, along the way. Maybe Mickey, maybe we should start like a resource together. Um, and that sounds great. Do RVing, Airbnb tips and tricks, and talk about the places that we visit. That'd be a lot of fun. Well, we've got Fanatical Fridays. Maybe we have Traveling Tuesdays. There we go. There we go. Right. <laughs> and I think that that's a, uh, that's a great segue. Um, uh, welcome to Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. Our goal every week, folks, is to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. Lots to talk about today. Um, Mickey, why don't you get us started by talking about a survey you recently um, um, uh, read and thought about and share some, some, some of the interesting kind of takeaways from that survey. Yeah, I was reading about a survey that you know, that a survey of students that said upwards of thirty percent of the students uh, are set, are indicating that they actually may not enroll where they were planning to enroll this fall, and this was you know some a survey taking over the summer, midsummer. So um, you know that raises some eyebrows for institutions who you know we moved our deposits back to June this year and and trying to get a good count for what's happening, and um, and I I thought that number seemed high to me. I was not expecting that number, at least at this point. Of course, you have to look at, you know, things that are happening and how hotspots are growing places and how schools are starting to change um, planning scenarios again. Um, 
you know, some schools that were saying, hey, we were going to be on uh, going to be face to face. We're, we're changing that now. We're going to go to online. I think some of that has some maybe uh, impact on that. But either way, it's that time of year where, you know, you, it's, it's really time to say how many people are actually going to show up. Some schools are having um, I know this weekend is move in weekend for some yeah. institutions. Uh, some of our clients who uh, have children going to school, they're telling us they're taking Friday off for this. So, you know, it's, it's happening. And, you know, I've, you know, two year institutions um, and, and four year institutions, but I, I see this happen more frequently two year institutions. They have this, you know, drop for non-payment process that they do as we get near the fall for folks who have, you know, high balances and no plan to pay for it. And, um, and they go through that. So I think, you know, our, our clients, the small, simple size I have where we're looking at this, the numbers on that on those initial lists are a little higher, not significantly higher. Hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, that's one of the indicators I'm looking at to say, okay, what really is this fall look like? You know, this is what our deposits say and what students have been telling us. Let's look at this list as another type of indicator to see, does that differ in any way? Um, if everybody says they're coming and it looks like we're going to have, you know, a thousand new students, and I typically have, you know, 30% of my new student population on that list, and I've got 50, something's off. Uh, yeah. And I've got concern there. Uh, and so that's, you know, really where, where I've been focused for the past week now, uh, for this week, for sure, looking at that and trying to understand that and, and helping uh, institutions. You know, I, I, a couple of my clients that have been further down and their numbers are, are fortunate to an extent to say because they have later fall starts. So we had a little more time to work to get this back up. And so, you know, as we see the names or the quantity of names on this, we have an opportunity to be sure that we're doing all we can now further out than we normally would to try to impact the numbers on that list and get those numbers down and support financial aid and student accounts who are really bearing the brunt of it. Most of those um, drop um lists are all based on payment or outstanding balances. So, so we, um, we have more time and, and, you know, we've got some goals in place on, on the numbers we want to see pulled from that list, uh, to help us with our enrollment for fall. That's super, super interesting. And, uh, you know, scary, <laughs> scary in some sense, um, or in a lot of senses, but, uh, very interesting. Uh, nevertheless, Mickey, one of the things I was, I'm curious about, how are you all advising your clients, uh, in terms of focus on this fall versus, you know, planning and prep for the class of 2021. Because one of the things that um, we've seen a little bit of of chatter around is sort of this kind of chaotic frenzy between, okay, you know, we all we can do, all we can focus on is figuring out how to successfully get students set up for this fall, whether that's, again, in a virtual context or that's, uh, you know, fully on campus. How are you all, like, what, what what is sort of the spirit or, you know, the culture around thinking about just, you know, the day, right? Just what's immediately yep. in front of folks versus, okay, hey, you know, we're halfway into August pretty much here. Like, it's kind of time yep. to start thinking about the future. How are you all helping your clients kind of manage uh, manage the anxiety associated with sort of the balance between the now and the future? So that's a, a really um, good question. And, um, and I would say over the past couple of weeks, I've been working with more of my colleagues here at the company and looking at other projects, not just my own. And, and I, I can say there's a whole mix. So most of my clients, um, my enrollment project related clients, we're very focused on the now mm -hmm. because my clients that I have for right now are down for this fall. Yep. And so we're very focused on the now, but we've got 
we've got a client, for example, I was on a, uh, a phone call with last last Friday after um, our podcast was dropped. We were on a call with them talking about some technology work. Um, they want to rebuild um, some of their online application, application portal um, to improve that experience, but they want to have that live for their spring enrollment. So we've got a matter of weeks to get that done. So they're looking at spring. We've got another one of our larger clients um, doing a lot of work, investing a lot of energy into rebuilding their online experience and online programs, adding to them, structuring them differently to, to make them more cohesive. And, you know, that's one to two years out before yeah. everything is done. You know, some of the work that we've been doing with them is uh, done and restructured now. Uh, and we're adding to that and expanding on it over the next 12 months um, with the different phases. So that's, you know, so I would say we're, we're across the board, but we have to be looking at uh, from from an admissions perspective specifically, as we start to think beyond this fall, uh, you know, I see a few major components um, in there is, is, you know, how do you start paying closer attention earlier to your inquiry pool where you are right now for fall 2021? Um, because we know the event, and we've talked about this in some of our um, last episodes, but you know our events are going to be different this year. Our traveling events, whether or not we travel at all, that they turn them into virtual. You know, what? how many people do, you, do we need to be generated from that? How do we lean on other avenues for building our inquiry pool from buying lists and, and search and all of those uh, initiatives? But you may have to invest more in those. So let's look at that. Let's look at how we actually are teaching our team to connect virtually. Um, and, and doing not just to connect, but to engage virtually. And then the technology pieces, do we have the technology we need to allow or enable that engagement to be effective? Um, you know, what do we, is it Zoom? Is it beyond Zoom? Is it chat? What is it? Is it AI? What is it we need to have in place? Do we have that stack of technology together that allows us to provide that virtual experience that will be more heavily dependent upon? So, I mean, all three of those things, I think, uh, need to be at the forefront and resolved in the next four weeks as you launch this 2021 campaign. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more there. And it, you know, one of the things that we've been wrestling with and and talking to folks about is how do you do? You know, and this is so cliche, but how do you do more with less this fall? Because uh, and really, you know, into into the spring here. Because as far as the people that we're talking to, budgets are sort of either still kind of undetermined. Um, there's still a lot of there's still many institutions that we're that we're chatting with that have uh, freezes, um, and then of the folks that know what they're what they have to play with, most of them are experiencing some cut uh, in some way, shape, or form. And so one of the things that we've been we've been asking ourselves and 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 chatting about with with our contacts is okay, how, what specific strategies and tactics can you implement within the context of your team uh, from a strategic standpoint that will actually help you move the needle with as few you know resources as possible and one of the things that i've recently become pretty uh obsessed with is this idea of of really bettering um copy in the enrollment marketing uh experience so one of the things that I've been reading a lot about is is Trader Joe's. You're you're familiar with Trader Joe's, right, Mickey? Uh, I I think I'd have to be 
living in another country not to be. Okay, good. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> the only okay, the only reason I ask is because I had two conversations yesterday and both of the folks that I was chatting with didn't know what Trader Joe's was. So, uh great. Glad to glad to know that we're, and I, I felt like the idiot. I was like, "Dang, well, like, maybe I guess this I'm is wrong. just like the the like the privileged like East Coast in me and um, yeah, maybe. Maybe it's just like the West Coast and East Coast. And yeah, both of these people were from the middle of the country. Um, anyhow, uh, one of the things, uh, so, so you know, like you walk into a Trader Joe's, you know what that experience is like. It feels different. Most people love going to Trader Joe's. Most people have like a favorite snack at Trader Joe's, right? So I've been, I've been uh, reading about them. And one of the really interesting things, if you sort of, uh, and, and a lot of this isn't completely confirmed, um, but right, there's, there's, uh, lots of evidence out there that suggests that from a product standpoint, right, the spaghetti sauce that you get at Trader Joe's isn't different from the spaghetti sauce that you get at Safeway or at Kroger or at, you know, whatever other sort of mainline grocery store you're used to shopping at. Um, what makes Trader Joe's really, really different. And one of the things that they are, you know, written up about is the way in which they package, um, their, their products and specifically the copy that they use, the descriptive copy that they use to explain the product, right? And so like one of the things that they're known for is what they do is uh, in, in their descriptive copy, like on, on, you know, the jar of spaghetti sauce, they're going to tell you how you're going to feel when you eat the spaghetti sauce, as opposed to what's just in the spaghetti sauce, right? And so like they have great use of adjectives. They do a, an exceptional job at like package design and whatnot and anyways this is uh somewhat tangential but it, it gets back to our greater point which is i've been thinking okay like if at the end of the day the product at least a, a large majority of the products at trader joe's aren't unique in and of themselves and if it's really about the way in which trader joe's crafts messaging and design around the products how could we as enrollment marketers, how could enrollment managers with limited resources who might have a program or a group of programs or a brand that's not too different from the college or the university down the street, how could they do a better job of explaining the experience associated with the product, the experience associated with the program, as opposed to just the program descriptors, so to speak. And I think that copywriting is a skill that helps you do that. And I think that copywriting right, is something that we could all as enrollment managers get a lot better at most conflows most search campaigns most website copy most copy on lead gen landing pages look more or less the same right they're they're not really wow worthy and that's something that with with some additional thought and you know maybe maybe being equipped with a a few frameworks through which to kind of evaluate good and bad copy um that's something that i think could significantly move the needle for some folks this fall and it's not going to cost much if if anything at all so anyways um Another, you know, Zach's kind of classic soapbox moment for the day. But I just think that this is this is a skill set that if I was leading an enrollment management team right now, I would want to get my admissions counselors uh, to I would want to inspire them to become better copywriters. And I think that that's something that isn't dramatically hard, but could have, if leveraged appropriately, a real impact. So I agree. Uh, I apologize if you hear my uh their neighbors getting uh, their lawn mowed this morning and it's right next to my window. Um, so I agree. And, and what I think where you ended with that stands out to me uh, because I think we think copyright and we think marketers. Yeah. We don't necessarily 
admissions. Yeah. Uh, which I think is where, you know, in our conversations together is that, you know, we blend the two. Yes. Uh, yes. But I think that basic level training, how can we teach our admission counselors to improve their one-to-one email engagement when they start answering questions that someone asks to embed some of that language and changing that, uh, those answers in terms of the experience and using those types of adjectives, what type of training can we give them to improve that response so that the student get, can read a quick response to an email or a text and get a sense of themselves and still find the sense of themselves on the campus. Yeah. That they also then reference a link to web material that does the same, but only deeper. Right. Um, but you know, that, what I what so often I think occurs, and and not using uh, the language you're talking about and the copyright to the level you're talking about, which I like and I would love to see more of, but marketing writes the material, yeah. and admission doesn't talk the same material, yeah. You know, yeah. and I think that aligning the two is important. So I think if we had a, an opportunity to create this shift and change our languaging, like you're talking about, that's going to probably require some type of training or some type of, I don't know, coaching, something that will help those, the copywriters, the marketing folks themselves modify the language. If I've been writing a certain way for years, yeah. I don't snap my fingers and all of a sudden start writing in a different way. That takes some time. And, and if I'm working on a shortened time frame, I need to help boost the learning curve or shorten the learning curve rather. And then how can I then also maybe overlay a little bit of training with the mission counselors so that they're not writing everything the copywriters are, but they at least are learning some of that so they can incorporate it in their language. Yeah, absolutely, right. And um, you know, one of the one of the things, shameless plug here, we're we're working on a copywriting e-course um, for enrollment marketers that I think will be helpful for both folks in enrollment management and and Marcom. Um, so folks could, could folks could start there um, once that once that's coming out. Uh, hopefully, uh, af- right after Labor Day. But but yeah, and and specifically, what I'm what I'm thinking is. Look, you don't have a lot. If you're in enrollment management, you typically don't have a lot of control over institutional null branding. You don't have lots of control over website uh, copy, right, on home pages and and you know other sort of like macro tier one pages. But you do, at least at least many of the folks that that we work with and know do have some autonomy and some control over a subset of pages. Or you might be able to control your event. RSVP pages or the confirm you might be tasked with writing the uh, confirmation emails associated with a virtual event that someone signs up for, right? And so in the in the arenas where you do have control, what does it look like to do a better job of um, really elevating the language that you're using? And elevating doesn't necessarily mean uh, more more sophistication, but really just what does it look like to do a more effective job at convincing people with language to take the action that you desire them to take, whether that's coming to an event, whether that's scheduling an admissions call or scheduling a one-on-one call with an admissions counselor. And I think that like what I'm learning anyways, and again, I'm still a novice here. I've spent the better part of like the past five months really thinking about this and consuming a lot of content, but still that's, that's, you know, that pales in comparison to, um, you know, the greats of the world. But one of the things that I've learned is just that this isn't, there are frameworks through which you can think about this that don't make it incredibly hard to implement in your context. So you might never become an A-plus copywriter, and I don't think that that's the goal for for most folks in enrollment management, but you could move from like a B-minus to a B-plus or a B-minus to an A-minus, and that could significantly better your results. So 
more on this later, um, and, and I digress for now, but this is just something that I've been thinking about in the spirit, right, and in the vein of what does it look like to develop your skill sets um, during a time when you're not going to have the resources in all likelihood that you had to just outsource this or to just, you know, get market, get marketing to do a better job at writing better, you know, prettier emails for you more and more is going to fall on enrollment management to sort of be judged during an executioner's um, uh, of content that they historically may, may have not had, you know, not had to do. So, this is one kind of small example of a way in which I think folks could move the needle significantly with uh, not a ton of, of learning and not a ton of kind of like work and very, very, very little cost. Well said. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see, if you, <laughs> we'll see if folks agree. Maybe this is just something Zach's interested in. Um, well, I, well, I think, you know, it's a shameless plug for you. It's not shameless for me to plug it. Um, we want to get the change. We need to have it faster and you need something to help you boost that shift. Uh, and part of that is changing our mindsets and the way we see when we approach it. And I think in order to do that, um, we need that lift. We need someone who understands it, who gets it, who can you know, help guide us there. And I think that course is a great way to do that. Well, thank you. We will see. We will see. Uh, okay. I have a question for you. So, when you're searching for information, Mickey, like, and let's think, uh, just like, let's say, do you guys use like Google Drive at Kennedy and Co? Or how do you guys organize your content? You're like That's confidential content, content Zach. Confidential. <laughs> uh, no, we, we, we are a Google suite for business user. Okay, great. And so if you're going to go and find a document, uh, maybe a report or um, you're going to go look at for some sort of kind of strategic outline that you've provided a client historically that you want to use as sort of a template for a similar pro project. How do you go about like, what is your process for finding that information? Yeah, I'm old school. Um, it is, um, I would like to say very well organized, but it is organized. Um, we, we, we keep everything collected um, by client and all the client stuff is in a client place and all of our operational stuff is in an operational place. Um, your, your standard, what you would have in mind for your, or for your folder structure. Okay. And so what you would do is you'd, you'd go to the driver and you'd go and you'd click yes. into the client folder and then in, in 47 clicks later, I have that document. Got open. it. Okay. So this is really interesting and it sort of confirms, uh, my latest theory which is that there's sort of like a a you know generational difference in how folks find information, um, and in in you know let alone information kind of externally like on a Google search, but just even source information internally. So I'm 26 years old. Uh, my boss is uh, 39 years old. And the way in which we find information, internal information on, we also are on the Google suite. So the way that we find information on the drive is dramatically different. And he, you know, is, is a little bit similar to you, Mickey, in that he'll go, he'll go to the, you know, first set of folders and then click through. And then, you know, 47 clicks later, he gets to where he, he needs to be. But it's very logical. It makes a lot of sense. And he knows exactly where something you know, should be. And if it's not there, he gets really frustrated that this document isn't in, you know, folder C72, um, but it's in B54, right? Or whatever it is, right? And he gets really, he gets, he gets all upset. Um, 
myself and many of my colleagues who are in their in their you know mid to late twenties, um, it's like almost exclusively use the search bar. So like when we're going to find information in the Google Drive, we start on the search bar. And I just I search like four searches or whatever it is until I find what it is that I'm looking for, depending on who named it, whether they followed good naming conventions or not. But I never go through sort of like the standard foldering like uh, uh, a pathway to, to accessing information. So I was thinking about this and then uh, I saw this uh, stat that uh, Funnelback and Mstone are put out from their recent state of, I think it's called the state of higher education website search or the state of search for higher education websites. It's a really cool report. And one of the things that they, that they quote, or one of the statistics that they, that they unveil in this report is that uh, they, they have this case study where they took, I think it was like 10 different college and university websites, and they surveyed a bunch of uh, website visitors as a part of this focus group. And 48% of the, the users, 48% of these respondents went to a college or university website looking for a particular program. They couldn't find the program via the the search like the search bar, the site search that was uh, a part of the, the website's domain. And so they just concluded, right, that this school didn't have this program. But those schools did actually have the programs that the students were looking for. The program pages just weren't optimized in a way that the site search could quickly reference uh, the, the information surrounding that program. And so this is a, a very long way of saying that one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is like, okay, Maybe there's this real shift generationally in how folks think about finding information and, and the pathways folks take to finding information. And if, you know, this very, very small sample size of, you know, my colleagues and my boss and then, you know, you, Mickey, and then, uh, you know, this this still relatively small kind of group of people from the Funnelback and M. Stoner study, if this is is true even even slightly, I think that this theory uh, this theory holds, which is that the way in which we need to think about um, our our sites, our websites in higher ed, is to ensure that we have doubled down in our investment on our site search functionality. Forget even Google search; like just think about your site search functionality. Because if in fact my behavior is congruent with younger millennials and especially Gen Z's behavior, which I believe that it is, then we need to double down on our investment of good site search so that I don't leave your website thinking that you don't offer something that you do. So I don't know what you think about this, Mickey, or if you if you think this makes sense or if you completely disagree, but um, this is a, a recent revelation of sorts that that I've had. And I'm curious to know sort of what you think about this and whether or not this resonates with what you see to you see to be true within the context of your own clients. I'm a horrible searcher. <laughs> clear and upfront about it. Um, it is definitely generational. Uh, I think, you know, the longer or the earlier you could begin using search in your digital life, um, the more likely it is that you're going to naturally use search in a file structure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was beyond college really. I mean, I was in college when, when, you know, we could do a search on the internet, but you know, I'm just not great at searching. Um, however, you know, I, I can't imagine my kids looking at a folder structure the way I look at it. You know, when I see them, you know, they're, they've got the Roku remote with the, you know, where you voice to voice to text yeah. or whatever. 
they're just, you know, saying into the remote what they want to search for. Now, now I have learned to do that. You know, you said you're 26. Um, your boss is 39. I'm dinosaur. And, um, you know, I, I can now use that microphone piece, but, you know, even, even my wife is, who's only a few years younger than me, um, uh, is much better at searching for something. Um, uh, it's embarrassing and frustrating when I'm searching. I don't see it. She says, just let me search. She, um, it's, it, you know, um, and I just have to put my head down. Now I will tell you, um, you, I haven't done this in a while, but you, when I would spend time working with schools, making some recommendations on sites, you know, I'm not a web expert, but when we're looking at, um, trying to build a campaign or optimize a page, we want to know what are the right search terms to use. Well, I know well enough for myself that I'm not going to be the one to help, help you with that. So one of the things I used to do is I would, um, put together a focus group of sorts with students would be in a computer lab and I would give them scenarios uh, and tell them to search for the scenario. And I would capture their terms and captures, do screen captures of the results that came from those terms. Uh, and they would each have six or seven scenarios and we'd sit in a room for 30 minutes and they would search. Uh, you know, so, you know, you, um, you know, and I would, you know, I would know who the students are coming in. So this is a student accounting program. You want to get an accounting job uh, in six months and you want to work for one of the top firms. Wow. Yeah. All right. And, or or um, you're finishing your undergraduate degree. You're looking at going on to graduate school. You want to find something that is in the eastern half of Pennsylvania. And or your undergraduate degree in business and you want to go to graduate school. I didn't tell them what graduate program, but then I would ask them at the end, you know, I see what you're searching for. If, if I couldn't tell it in their search term, you know, what program are you looking for? And let's look, and then we can see the results. And that helped me at least put some framework around it. It helped us think about how we optimize our pages and how we optimize our Google ads. Uh, and it was effective. Uh, yeah. And it also helped us connect and, and get a better sense of what the, the, the potential students that we're looking to attract would how they react and how they search. So. That's super, super interesting. And then would you guys give these uh, screen recordings to your clients? Uh, yeah, I, I would capture them all, document it, um, and we'd, it would be part of part of a uh, deliverable for our report. That's super, super interesting. I think that that, that that would be like amazing to do like tenfold, like just have a, have a you know, a thousand college, uh, excuse me, uh, high school seniors, right, even right now, like this fall, and have them search for school and like what like what how how do those queries change even just in light of covid um and you know one of the things that's super interesting about how at least many young people search is the language is much more conversational and so a lot of the time the you know uh the the words that they're using um, don't align with the words that an institution might use to describe its program or might not align with, you know, the copy that folks use on their admissions pages. And so I think we're living in a world where, and like, and, you know, and voice search, like just takes this up, uh, uh, an incredible notch. And like the way that, you know, your, your kids who are, you know, younger than me, um, the way that they search is going to be incredibly different than even the way that I search. And I, I actually think about like, uh, my boss's kids and I think his oldest is like 10 maybe. And, uh, they are, they use Alexa for everything and they ask Alexa to go play this, or they ask Alexa to tell them, you know, what is, you know, two plus two, right? They, they ask that they're so used to communicating with a quote unquote search engine by using their voice, not even not even taking the time to to type something out on their iPad. And so 
anyways, all of this is to say is it's it'll be really interesting to see how colleges and universities change their their Google ad strategy, how they change their SEO strategies, uh, how they even change the language in which they use on on their website to better align with a more conversational tone. Um, assuming that you know trends continue to head in the way that that they at least appear to head in. Uh, absolutely. I mean, my I, I can't imagine. You know, well, by the time my children are adults, um, I would assume we're going to have this voice search capability on computers. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, absolutely. Scary. There's there's no reason for a folder structure at that point. Yep. Um, it's hard to you know it's hard to have a folder structure in place for voice search. Yeah. Um, you're not going to voice search to say. Um, hey, MacBook, open up at the institution folder. MacBook, hey, open up client X folder. Yeah, and You're not going to go that. You're going to say, hey, MacBook, give me this um, marketing search report for X institution. Yeah. You know, you, so uh, very, you know, well, it's, it's, I think very intriguing. But, you know, voice is definitely, it's gonna, it will further change search. So that we got this generation now is doing search. I think, you know, the generation behind will be doing voice search and it will be different than the search we're doing now where it's where it's typed in. Yeah, I mean, and that just aligns with, you know, Google, I think something like 15% of every Google search uh, of Google searches every day are are new searches. So there's their queries that Google hasn't seen before, which is like absolutely absurd to think. I mean, like 15% is is not a small number when you're talking about hundreds of millions, if not, you know, billion, a billion searches per day. I think it's like 500 million uh, searches per day. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, this is a super interesting conversation. And I think one continuing to work, uh, continuing, ah, worth continuing to have as we, uh, as we progress. Um, any, any sort of like final takeaways, Mickey, for, for folks as they head into, as they head into the weekend and, and into next week? You know, uh, Hopefully, uh, you're you're at a point where you're having a good summer and your enrollment's looking strong for the fall, um, where you can sail across the finish line. Um, but if not, batten down the hatches, um, put your head down and keep plowing away and and do the best you can. Um, you know, you're not in it alone. Reach out to your colleagues for help if you if you need help and support. But you know, good luck to everyone for the fall. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for being here, and we'll see you next week. See you all. Take care.